0: This is ClefCentral.com Welcome to the Renegade Report, I'm Jonathan
1: Oh, and Roman is present, Jonathan, and, and uh, someone else is yeah, present Yeah, someone else is present, you need to add that in now So, she is extremely loud, she's very young, she's 10 months 10 months, 9 months, I don't even know what and, a great father! Uh, I, I'm not going to say his name cause Tom, a name. Tom. Tom is.
0: Uh, is there a truth claim to time Really, Ramon? <laughs> I mean, can we? Can we really it, say? It, dep-
1: it really depends on the person. Really, some <laughs> some measure in uh, years, some measure in millennia, which yeah. could be years, like the Jews, right? Isn't like year five million AD? Five thousand. There we go. So to me, to as white people, it's two thousand. AD. As white people, As white people. Yes. All right. White. So
0: your very young daughter is here. So it will be three men in a podcast. Uh, three men in a three men and a baby doing a podcast. Right. Um, and if she interferes, well, you know, suck it up. <laughs> it yeah, happens. it's our podcast. So yeah, deal with it. Um, well, uh, there's uh, some craziness happening because Donald Trump retweeted uh, a very right-wing extremist party in the UK called Britain First. Right. Uh, really, bunch of hateful bigots. Um, are they though? I mean, I haven't read. I don't know. Yeah, right? they, I did not know about they, them before you retweeted them. Yeah, and they they are. They, I think I think that's a fair description of oh, them. I'm okay. more than happy to be challenged on it, but I, I do think they're they they're they're quite a they're pretty much a bunch of supremacists. And well, they uh, hate Muslims. Okay. Well, they, oh, they hate a lot of people. Um, I do don't wrong think with that. <laughs> I hate a lot of people. <laughs> Look at too. you being contrarian. Right. So, Individual people, he retweets his tweets, uh, got some videos attached to them. One of the videos is actually isn't even true. It's fake news. Um, According to his own standards, he failed. Yes. Donald he did, Trump impeached. Time for impeachment. That, that, that's it. Uh, and the problem really is not that he retweeted a couple of videos, um, two of which weren't actually fake and show, uh, one of which I think shows a significant problem. You know, throwing gay people off roofs is actually an issue in the, uh, in, in the Arab world. Um, but, That said, uh, instead of just ignoring his stupid retweets, uh, they decide to lose their minds in the U.K. And we've got condemnation from mayors and we've got uh, Theresa May condemning Uh, My favorite,
1: my favorite, two Labor MPs, I think one's called (laughs) Ian Hunt. You have to say that very slowly. Ian Hunt uh, tweeted yesterday that he wants to ban Donald Trump from entering the country for instigating racial hatred. Yeah, I mean, it's just something else. It's absolutely unbelievable. So, so, so you got, you got some imams, you know, say kill the Jew every second weekend, you know, around London. And I think they should be free to say that, but, but no one you know, bans them. Maybe the imams should start tweeting out, you know, their sermons and then we'll see a different way. But to ban a president of the richest country and the biggest trading bond in Britain from entering the country for inciting racial hatred. Well, there was a, hatred. yeah, I mean, there's an MP previously who
0: tweeted defense of the rapists in Rotherham um, and said that the victims should just shut their mouths, um, <laughs> you know, and, and now he's freaking out about the Donald Trump tweet. So once again, the usual kind of double standard.
1: As my friend said on Twitter, uh, MPs who voted to bomb Muslims are angry that Donald Trump retweeted videos of Muslims.
0: <laughs> right. So perhaps we should get on to our guest for the day. Uh, And that is none other than a gentleman by the name of Christopher Snowden. He may be uh, well known to some of you. He's the IEA's abrasive director of lifestyle economics, at least that's how he describes himself. And uh, he also writes regularly for The Spectator Health. He writes a column, recently published a book called Killjoys, which is a critique of paternalism. And he joins us on the show today. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you doing? Well, well, thanks. Um, Chris, so uh, you're on the show. Uh, you're uh, well-known in, in the UK. I'm not so sure how well-known you are to, to our listeners in South Africa, but certainly some of our international listeners will have read your stuff. Um, you've just written a book called Killjoys. Do you want to give us a bit of yes. an idea what, what that entails?
2: Yeah, it's really um, a political philosophy, I guess, political science. Uh, and it explains, I think, step by step, starting with John Stuart Mill, why the nanny state is immoral, um, why on net it makes people's lives worse, and it looks at some of the fallacious arguments that are used to kind of justify stopping adults doing things that they want to do, uh, most of which are economic um, superficially, um, and none of which really stand up. So it takes the whole issue of paternalism mainly looking at public health paternalism but i I do touch on nudging and things like that um Mm. and conclude ultimately john stuart mill was absolutely right
1: funny thing that (laughs) i mean i for one am shocked that you concluded that uh being a a member of the the, what's called institute of economic affairs yes yes which is which is i believe a, a sort of free market think tank
2: yeah hayekian really um
1: or well, one of the best. So, yes,
2: it was. It was set up in the uh, early fifties. After the the guy who founded it spoke to Hayek and said, "What do we need to do to you know, stop the UK becoming more and more socialist and having more and more of the economy centrally planned?" And Hayek basically said, "You're wasting your time with the politicians <laughs> at the moment, so you should try and persuade the second hand dealers." in ideas, is what he called them, um, people who create the climate of opinion. And that's basically what we did, and that's why we're one of the oldest think tanks in the world. Uh, and we've been making the case for free markets and individual liberty ever since.
1: So, I mean, let's talk about that quickly, because in the UK, I mean, you are uh, vaunted and derided equally for having the NHS. So some think it's, uh, it's a national treasure, other things it's a... Uh, it's a, a death panel, um, <laughs> I don't know, whatever you call it. So people already are, are divided on this, and there's never enough money for it, to, you know, despite the budgets being increased every year. Um, but the problem is, Chris, I believe, if the government controls your health care, there's a lot more opportunity for them to control a whole lot of other things that derives, you know, that flows from health.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, you hear people talking about the cost to the National Health Service as a justification for all sorts of lifestyle interventions and up to a point uh, you can see that if you socialize health care and you're forcing me to pay for other people's health care and vice versa. Yeah you hear the argument quite a lot in Britain about the cost of various activities to the health service justifying government intervention and once you have a Socialized healthcare system and a socialized welfare system. You can make the argument for pretty much any form of government intervention because you know no man is an island in such a system, and there will always be some small knock-on effect from one person uh, doing something and and somebody else picking up the pieces, and that's inevitable. But it kind of goes with the territory. And when these things were set up in the 1940s, um, the idea was that it would be collectivized and there would be a shared Uh, responsibility um, for one another. And that's supposed to be the good thing about it. Um, In fact, what a lot of these nanny statists um, are saying uh, when they talk about the cost of smoking and the cost of obesity, the cost of binge drinking, they're actually moving implicitly towards a system where we should just pay for our own health care. I mean, that would obviously be the answer (laughs) to this um, sort
0: of... Or the other way around. Because because what happens is is if you believe in complete individual freedom, then you tell people, well, yeah, binge drinking is not good for you, but if you want to do it, go ahead, do it. Uh, yeah. That's your problem. But when you have a health problem as a result of your binge drinking, that's also your problem to sort out. The minute you introduce some sort of socialized healthcare system where everyone's paying for it, then you kind of feel, well, government believes this, and certainly many people who inverted commas buy into the system, believe that they suddenly have a right to tell you that you may not binge drink. And this is where, you know, laws will come in where I think you've got minimum pricing coming in now on alcohol in the UK.
2: In Scotland, in Wales, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, you create moral hazard when you get people to rely on one another like that. But I think it's important to remember that this is just an excuse. The people who talk about um, various unhealthy activities costing the government lots of money, they don't generally talk about how we can make the health service more efficient in fact they just say we need more and more money all the time for various different things um so you have to get beyond that and and look at what people's real concerns are and the economic arguments about negative externalities most of them don't stack up for a startup so the smoking one uh, is a prime example where the amount of tax that smokers pay is so extraordinarily high in britain that it far exceeds Mm any possible costs of the health service then in addition you've got the fact that smokers are dying on average about 10 years younger than non-smokers and then therefore not taking out pension (laughs) payments and all other sorts of old age benefits in 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 later life Uh, and when you explain this to somebody and this is you know, 100% economically sound. There's really no question that smokers effectively subsidize non-smokers. When you explain this to people, they don't say, oh, okay, I didn't understand that, but now I get it and I'm quite happy for people to carry on smoking. It's up to them. They never say that. They just switch to another argument. They'll generally say, well, it smells or I don't like it or people should be taking care of the health. So this economic argument is never actually a real argument. You often have to bash down a few doors before you get to what people's real concerns are. And those concerns are generally just purely paternalistic. But in a relatively liberal society, um, coming at something from a nakedly paternalistic angle is still not fashionable and thank god it would be a bad thing um if it were so people come up with and i, I address several of these in killjoys uh people come up with various sort of proxy arguments uh, most of which can be knocked down fairly easily and none of which are actually sincerely um expounded by the people who claim to care about these things
0: well it, it yeah I, I i hear what you're saying my only concern is that uh i'm not convinced that we're winning the fight against all of this you know it's the government that then enforces so the, the government yeah the government enforces these these uh ideas uh, people kind of buy into them you know as you say you're part of a think tank and that as as you mentioned and as we've had other guests from think tanks on here the whole idea is to change society's perspective and if you can do that you will change the way government acts you know, in the end. Yeah. Um. But but it seems that in many ways we we're kind of losing this battle. Or what needs to happen is that the entire system has to collapse before people realise just what a bad idea it was. I mean, the NHS uh, will eventually implode. The, I, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but from from a, an outsider's perspective, and I, I'm a, I'm a doctor, so I work in the medical profession. Um. From my perspective, I I just don't see it lasting forever. It's the same problem with with part of the socialized system that they've got in other countries, including what they've done in the U.S. now.
2: Yeah, well, it will never have enough money to provide a a decent service. And as people's general standard of living improves and as private services get better and better and better, it just shows up public services for how – you know, 1940s they are really, you know, (laughs) these things are mid 20th century solutions and um, they can't possibly keep up. I mean, they're they're fundamentally inefficient. The whole point of the NHS, or at least one of the major selling points of the NHS is supposed to be that it's more efficient because you haven't got all these profit making companies sucking out all this money. Um, And yet we are now spending about the same on healthcare as a percentage of GDP as other rich countries, and the waiting lists are still appallingly long. You have to wait a month to see a, a general practitioner. Um, it's patently not keeping up with the systems in places like Switzerland or the Netherlands or Australia. Um, the only thing that the status has got going for them on this is that people in Britain are so incredibly parochial and mm. have so little idea about how health services work in other countries that... Uh, people genuinely believe that the NHS is the envy of the world. And in, in other countries, um, either they have basically the same thing yeah, or they have the American system where people supposedly die in the streets. They don't understand that there is this... The, the vast majority of wealthy countries do not have either of those. Well, they have a hell of a lot of private involvement, better services, and more patient choice.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, people are often misinformed on these. These, I, I'm just thinking it's, it's completely off topic, but net neutrality, for example. Everyone's got an opinion on net neutrality, uh, not realizing that actually um, there were no net neutrality laws uh, in the in the U.S., um, very recently, and and they, were, you know, the the growth of of that sector was was perfectly fine, uh, without any regulation in in that space. But I, I'm I'm quite interested to uh, pick your brain on on more of the marketing exercise because that's what it seems to be. I, you you've got the, U, uh, the in the UK. I remember your Olympics. Um, you know, there were people jumping yeah, up and yeah. down on giant beds, um, in the yeah, middle of the so Olympic always- stadium. Um, so, and, and, and the pride in uh, you know Ramon does say that there is split opinion, but for the most part uh, the average person I 've come across from the u k will will you know say amazing things about the NHS um, and you, you you really almost aren't allowed to say anything, and the government has done an incredible job of brainwashing the public for want of a yeah. better
1: word
2: well it's partly because people don't see the money going out of their bank accounts in quite the same way as you would do if you had a private insurance system. And so a lot of people basically assume it's free. And when something's free, you're happy for anything. And doctors and nurses, and nurses in particular, get treated kind of like angels, you know. Um, And people will say things like, you know, the NHS saved my life or I wouldn't be here for the NHS. You know, The NHS is the only thing that gets praised to the heavens just for doing what it's supposed to do. You know, and the people whose lives were not saved by the NHS or whose lives were cut short by the NHS aren't around to make the the counter argument. Um, And that Olympic ceremony, I have genuinely never felt more ashamed to be British than when I was watching that. It was the most parochial thing to put up the the letters NHS Mm. in the middle of this huge stadium and just assume that anybody around the world, Either has heard of the NHS or gives a flying fuck about it. This the, <laughs> the vanity of thinking that there's going to be <coughs> people in China seeing NHS and go, "Ah, oh, the NHS is fantastic." They that nobody outside of Britain cares about the NHS. They certainly don't look up to it, it is, in any way. It's possibly pockets of people in, in parts of America. Is
0: that is that part of a? I don't want to be like a conspiracy theorist, but do you think that's part of a a sort of global? Um, Not necessarily agenda, but the sort of zeitgeist of look at our status system um, and promoting the kind of statist system to the world and saying, look how great it is when the government runs things.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, the the whole opening ceremony was a piece of propaganda. Um, And, you know, the the time before it had been in China. And there was no propaganda at yeah. all. It was just people dancing and putting on a show. But pretty much everything in that opening ceremony had some political meaning to it. And this glorification of the NHS as if it's literally the greatest thing Britain has ever achieved was a central part of that. And I just felt ashamed um, that we, you know, the, the rest of the world would be thinking that we, you know, this, this fairly basic healthcare system, which is... Worse than most others when it comes to keeping people alive. That's our proudest achievement. It
1: was cringeworthy. Uh, Chris, let, let's speak a little bit about your. Well, I don't know if he's your mayor. I assume you live in London. Uh, that's just an assumption.
2: I don't actually. know. I live down down on the south coast.
1: Oh, okay. So thank goodness, because otherwise you would have uh, Sadiq Khan as your mayor. So you're a lucky man not to live in London. Nevertheless, oh. um, so this is a man who has said numerous times you know terrorism is part and parcel of living in a big city uh, He is quite happy to decry racism uh, on one side only he's really he's really a, a social justice activist masquerading as a politician, and his latest uh, tirade is against uh, fat kids right because as Jimmy Carr said, um, this is quite rude, but as Jimmy Carr said, uh, you know. Fat kids, you know, they, they they just make pedophiles a bit confused because no one wants to fiddle with the fatty. So I assume Sadiq Khan took that to heart and now he wants to ban fast food outlets, uh, from schools and within the radius.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, reminds, like that pedophile reference is just so, something else, but, but sure,
1: carry on. Right. Anyway, but it's an important point I'm making here. So Sadiq Khan says he doesn't want fast food outlets within 400 meters of all schools in London. Yeah. Um, how much of this is is health, and how much of this is just being patronising to the working class, who overwhelmingly are the customers of fast food outlets?
2: Yeah, well, I don't know about overwhelmingly, to be honest. I mean, uh, most most normal people uh, go to them um, at least reasonably frequently. It's just, yeah, you know, he's been um, sucking in by the public health lobby. This is one of their stupid ideas. They have so many stupid ideas, and unfortunately, most <laughs> of them never get tested. Um, but the idea that kids are coming out of school and eating lots of burgers and chips, and that's why a actually fairly small minority of them are overweight, um, is one of their uh, articles of faith. There's not any evidence backing up the idea that living near or working near a lot of fast food shops has any effects on obesity whatsoever, but they kind of assume it does. Um, and sadly, it's kind of been dragged into this. And I guess the figure the public health people came up with was, was 400 metres. So you've got a 400 metre radius around schools. And um, I don't think he can have done the basic geography on this, because if you look at all the schools in London, you know, if you had this exclusion zone, it would stop any new fast food outlet opening up, apart from maybe in the middle of the Thames and in the middle of High <laughs> Park. I mean, it's just it's a, it's effectively a blanket ban, And I can't believe he intended to do that. This is a guy who keeps saying that London is open for business and all that stuff. It's just going to mean if he does go, go through with this, it's going to mean that having a license to sell fast food is going to become like gold dust and be changing hands on the black market. Um, passed down from father to son, the existing outlets, of course, are still going to be there. So it's not actually going to have any effects, even on people's access to fast food. It's just going to have an anti-competitive effect. It's great news for the incumbent chicken shop industry. You, you can um, you can always see people
0: measuring anything. exactly, um, you know, to shop windows from schools. Uh, you know they have become quite a big business surveyors sort of telling them exactly you know if you're 402 meters from the school no problem you can open up it's also it's well, also...
2: It, it reminds me of a, what i'm told is a, um, a a true story of a friend of mine who was in a taxi in las vegas some time ago and the driver was telling him that there's a rule in vegas that um you can't have a brothel within 500 yards of a school something like that uh, which seems, you know, reasonable, even a libertarian, I think, would, would say we shouldn't have brothels or any store to schools. Um, and he said that there was a case where when they measured it out, they found out that the school was actually about 250 yards away from the brothel. Uh, this caused <laughs> some consternation in the council. But he said it was all right. We found a solution. We closed the school.
0: Yeah, well, that's the way you can interpret it. You can turn around and go, well, Sadiq Khan doesn't want any uh, schools within 400 meters of fast food restaurants, so we're just going to close down all the schools in London.
2: Yeah, effectively, no schools can be opened up in London now.
1: um, yeah, I actually do want to get back to, to this uh, paternalism that, that you referred to earlier. Because if you look at the, the, the so-called vices that these people, the public health policy, whatever experts are worried about, it's, it's smoking, drinking, fast food, and I assume not enough exercise,
2: right? And gambling too. They've uh, even.
1: Oh, another good vice of the working class. Um. Yeah, all so, the traditional vices. And sex.
2: Most of them are in the Bible, you know.
1: Right, right. But th- there is something I can't I can't speak for people and I can't know what's in their mind. But this is just a it's it's a revolt against like a cultural aspect of Britain is it not? I mean, I'm not saying you are defined by smoking, drinking and gambling or anything to that effect, but it's an important part of the culture there. And it's uh, an
2: important part, particularly of working-class culture, yeah. Right. I, mean, I think I think what you get now is the element of snobbery in it. And, yes, it, it, it's totally a middle-class, in fact, upper-middle-class obsession. Um, I mean, a lot of people in the upper-middle classes won't know anybody at all who smokes now, for example. And they just they kind of think it's disappeared. But it, you know, We've got 16% of the population smoking, probably a bit more when you include the social smokers. So this is not a negligible uh, number of people. And gambling, um, particularly in betting shops, is under attack at the moment. Alcohol, of course, is consumed by everyone across the class divide. So what they've done is found this genius policy called minimum pricing, which only targets the drink that poor people drink and doesn't touch champagne and fine wine <laughs> at all. So that's, that's wow. a, perfect, a perfect bourgeois uh, temperance policy. Um, and, yeah, and fast food. You know, I mean, the, the, there isn't actually as great a difference in obesity rates between the rich and poor as people often make out. And in England, actually, there's only a a, a difference amongst women. Um, There's plenty of obesity amongst wealthy and and middle earners. Um, But all the focus is on fast food and supermarkets, you know, discounts. And again, the stuff that people on low incomes buy, um, regardless of the fact that there's really very little evidence linking those things specifically to obesity. Uh So, yeah, I mean, if you look down the line, all of these policies implicitly target uh, people on low incomes and, and classic working class pleasures.
1: Yeah, and, and unfortunately it's the bourgeois that that, that does this because, uh, I mean, they know the truth and the light and the truth and the light is eating 1,500 calories a day and half of that is kale and then you do CrossFit three times a week and then you drink mineral water and then you're like the perfect citizen of Britain, aren't you?
2: Yeah, it's very, it's very puritanical. I mean, I don't think many of the people who advocate this stuff actually follow that lifestyle. There's a huge amount of hypocrisy. No, I mean, of, 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 of how course many they do a lot of these people are severely overweight, for a start off, uh, and I dare say a lot of them uh, drink well over the guidelines. But you know, hypocrisy is absolutely part and parcel of Puritanism and religious morality, anyway.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk a bit about the this public health thing because you know there's a there's the, it's become a growing sort of speciality, for want of a better word. Um, you've got this. Uh, WHO, this large uh, international organization, which has basically been taken over by these people. Um, yeah. and very often, just in my experience dealing with public health uh, officials, um, they are quite. Clueless. They, firstly, they want to uh, control everything you do, but they are also quite clueless to uh, realities. Uh, they twist the evidence. We've, we've had it here in South Africa where uh, we had our public health, one of our universities, Wits University, their public health um, department has been involved in pushing for a sugar tax. They were basically the um, all the evidence the government used in all of the hearings came from them. And their people uh, and uh, it was all nonsense. Uh, you know they twisted the the evidence to show that this would be a good idea, but when you actually dig deeper into their figures, um, you can see that uh, the actual reduction from the sugar tax in BMR will be essentially negligible and the improvement in health also negligible but you know they said like this many percentage points or whatever or this many hundreds of thousands but it's actually it's actually in the overall scheme of things insignificant and and the yeah. WHO does this all the time the WHO also loves to tell us we're dying of something you know or something is coming to kill us uh and that's generally uh, pushed by the public health uh people what do you what do you make of you know the WHO, their their sort of agenda, their push, uh, and 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 the reasoning for all of this.
2: Well, the WHO has been taken over on the lifestyle side by exactly this same kind of zealots as you'll have in your public health organisations in South Africa and we do in Britain. Um, it's a nice little club that they've got going. It pays very well. They're scrounging off the taxpayer. They can go around calling themselves scientists and public health people and pretending they're part of the medical fraternity when most of the time they are, you know, sociologists and engineers and yeah, most marketing of them are not specialists. doctors so, psych- a hell of a lot of psychologists and people. Um, so, no, they're not. They're not, not medical doctors for the most part. Uh, and a lot of them, frankly, are really quite stupid. There's a certain number who have a kind of feral cunning, and they tend to rise to the top and and take charge of the junk science, but. Below them, there's this huge army of people who just keep parroting the same thing over and over and over again. Um, And it's kind of boring debating with them because you never get anything new. They've just got their little slogans, Um, which is great if you're a campaigner, you know. But other people, if you're a a writer or researcher, you like to kind of think about ideas and discuss things uh, on the basis of principles and evidence rather than just hearing the same. Um, the same slogans rehashed again and again and again, and the same statistics rehashed again and again and again about this policy will save X number of lives, based on some dismal computer model. So they're kind of most of them are uh, thick and tedious, but there's a few, you know, smart people um, yeah. who essentially evil
0: at the top of the pile. <laughs> i mean i'm just thinking of you know in recent times for example we were told that the zika virus was going to uh migrate from from uh south america and it was going to go into the u.s and it was going to be a massive health crisis before that we had swine flu um yeah, which which SARS, was which and before flu. that we had sars um and you know you know if you look at the responses of countries and the the amount of money spent i mean we've 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 got smaller examples in south africa we've got uh, the country spent somewhere in the region of 60 million rand uh to protect us against getting ebola uh ebola is closer to the uk and the us uh, in terms of geographical location than it was to south africa um from you know sierra leone and and those types of countries um it, 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 we spent all this money, which we don't really have to spend, but we spent it on the basis of this sort of fear mongering. The H1N1's no different. Uh, Britain, the US, all the developed nations spent billions of dollars uh, developing vaccines in an, em- yeah. like emergency vaccines that in the end they actually didn't need. And that's not a rail against vaccines. It's just to say that it, it, it didn't need to happen in the way it had happened. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and, there doesn't seem to be nobody kind of realizes that your governments are burning your money on this
2: they really do because public health i mean public health should be dealing with infectious diseases you know i I think there's a role for public health and that's exactly what they should be dealing with but they treat stuff which is really just behavioral choices as epidemics and when they actually see the potential for a genuine contagious epidemic they go completely overboard um partly because it doesn't happen very often and we i mean it was scandalous what happened um with uh, tamiflu what was tamiflu for swine flu i think wasn't
0: yeah it? tamiflu is uh, I mean, just an antiviral we, for any kind of flu 100 percent Any yeah of the viral flu. well
2: we 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 bought more doses of tamiflu than we have people in the country mm. and hardly any of it was ever used and i don't think uh, it was much use to people when uh, when it was taken anyway and we did this time and time again with bird flu swine flu and sars we totally overreacted there's strong evidence that the pharmaceutical industry were behind a lot of this at the who level um yeah and it's a colossal waste of money having said that um I do think there is a place for a public health movement that massively stripped down, stripped of a lot of its funding, get rid of all the nanny state stuff and the lifestyle regulation stuff, um, and just spend the money wisely on potential threats to public health. In the last few years, for example, we've had this enormous increase in scarlet fever. Um, The figures just came out last week. Mm. That's the kind of thing that Public health should be should concentrating be on, but in the last few years, they haven't. I've not heard them mention it once. They've been too busy worrying about the colours and logos on cigarette packs and the prices of busy drinks.
0: Yeah, I, well, I, you know, I, we've got a similar reflection. As I say, you know, we've, we're debating the sugar tax now, and and uh, we've never had any sort of actual push towards we've done a lot about hiv and aids but there's been no public health push to making legislation in that regard uh to try and make it for example notifiable disease there's been a lot of arguments about that and it's interesting you talk about behavioral stuff because as soon as you mention behavioral stuff uh they actually shy away from that they don't the collective doesn't want the individual to to be to be able to take responsibility
2: no absolutely not but they they have what is basically a Marxist view of society really, which is that people don't really have any autonomy. They're just pawns of institutions and, and the environment. So obesity has got nothing to do with people's eating and exercising choices. It's all to do with the obesogenic environment and how many fast food outlets are around and yeah. how much sugary drinks cost. They don't really get human agency at all um, because they can always find studies to show if you do this and this, then a actually fairly small number of people will change their behavior in some way and therefore people are malleable. Um, but I think in the case of obesity, it's an insult to the majority of us who are not obese to say that those who are obese cannot help it and it's all down to big food and government inaction and the obesogenic environment. People do have choices um there is such a thing as addiction in in a few small areas you know a, a relatively small handful of alcoholics and a rather yeah. more significant number of smokers have something that you can legitimately call addiction and i write about this in the book uh, i think it's maybe the best challenge to the john stuart mill view is that people do have um bounded rationality if you like or, or restricted uh, rationality but the issue with that is that it stops people making free choices. That's the problem with addiction. Um, You don't overcome that problem by limiting people's choices far more thoroughly by banning or or heavily taxing um, something else. It's all about freedom of choice. Addiction, for some people I accept, um, does limit that restriction somewhat, but nowhere near as much as the policies that are um, introduced by public health using the excuse of addiction.
1: So if we all agree that, that people have, uh, individual choices, um, do you personally, Chris, do you like care if people are just unhealthy and die early? Or, or well, is there I mean, an asymmetry of, of knowledge there that needs to be perhaps relayed? Uh, you know, but I mean, there is room for, you know, nutritionists in the world and there is room for yeah, per- yeah. personal trainers in the world, of course. Um, but sorry, sorry about that. Nina. Anyway, uh, but I mean, there's room for all that, but from a state point of view, do you think the state has any role to play in behavior?
2: I think it can have a role to play in correcting information asymmetries if they exist. So, for example, I think the the fact that cigarette packs have had to have warnings on them for decades um, is a good thing because when they came on in the the 60s, uh, a lot of people doubted that this link they'd read about was real, and maybe they hadn't even read about the link. So I think um a warning in that instance had the beneficial effect of helping to put an official stamp on something that was still doubted and disputed and people didn't want to believe. Now that everybody understands it, I don't think there's much of an information asymmetry there. And right? I I have to assume that if you smoke, it's because you basically like smoking. Um of course like, there is an addictive element there, but most people do. Quit and maybe public health should be out there helping people to quit, as of course they do. Right. And that, uh, but help, help, yes. help the individuals who want help. Don't try and help the population that's not asking for help. That would be my message across the board with this public health stuff. They're trying to treat the whole population without their consent. That's a very important distinction between practicing medicine and practicing public health is in medicine, you need to consent in the, in public health. They don't even ask. Yeah, oh, that's very spot on. They wouldn't get it, uh, wouldn't get it anyway.
1: So I actually really do want to irritate my co-host now because um, personally I think vaping is is one of the best inventions of the past I don't know two decades or so, Um, and now it looks like in some areas in Britain they wish to ban vaping because it normalises smoking. Have you read something like that?
2: Things have got better. Things got better in Britain. We it was on a knife edge for for a few years. Uh, And there were people who wanted to regulate them as medicines, which would effectively amount to a ban. Um, But we've been quite lucky in that that battle was just about won. And now our major health organizations, including even the British Medical Association, which until a few days ago uh, was very strongly against vaping, they've now seen the light on this. We have had a very successful natural experiment in this country where we tried the Stick for a long time. we tried bringing in all sorts of legislation and a massive smoking ban, huge taxes, and then none of it was working. You know, the smoking rate was refusing to fall between 2007, when the smoking ban came in, and about 2012. Thereafter, vaping went mainstream, and the smoking rate has fallen by a fifth in just a few years. So, there's been a major um, success story, really, whether you look at it from the point of view of population health or you look at it from the point of view of free choice and innovation it's been a success story so that's been accepted now in this country the problem is a lot of other countries particularly australia and increasingly america um are, are riddled with people uh, spreading scare stories about e-cigarettes and you know you've got a total ban in australia although to be fair they are looking increasingly like a, a backwater i mean the rest of the world is Generally moving in the right direction, every EU member state now legalises vaping, whereas there were quite a few, even a couple of years ago, which, which banned it. New Zealand's legalising vaping, Norway's legalising vaping. So um, I think the message is getting through, but there is still a big obstacle from the WHO. In particular, they they are still recalcitrant about this, um, and California is just a nest of. Uh, Anti nicotine extremists who are very, very well funded <laughs> with tobacco taxes and they are not giving up on this. The real dinosaurs, there's a few real yeah. dinosaurs who've been against this from day one and they are just not going to go. Down California
0: seems to be a nest of extremists just as, as a whole. Um, yeah, but so, so the same. <laughs> I, I'm interested to know how California thinks marijuana should be completely legal, um, which I'm fine with, by the way. Um, but uh, they want to ban you know cigarettes or vaping it's 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 kind of odd since um none of these substances are benign yes some may be worse than others but they they all can have negative impact on you so it's, sure. it's, it's the think, hypocrisy um, is unbelievable
2: yeah but there's still enough old hippies around in california who've been determined to do this for the last 50 years and i'm on your side i agree it should be legalized But part of this is just fashion, you know. The the old hippies are fighting against what their parents used to do, which is smoking and drinking a lot, um, and are keen to legalise what they used to do and maybe still do a bit. It doesn't make a lot of sense on on the surface, yeah. But uh, you know, things go in cycles. Uh,
1: Wait, wait till you come to our country, Chris. If you do happen to come, Uh, we have a health minister who is uh, so anti smoking; it is it's almost like he and alcohol. Yeah, and alcohol, but it is—it's—it's it's so anti-science, ain't anti-data. It's—it's it's the worst elements of like the first world, but with third-world controls. So he will do it anyway. No one will follow it, of course, but the law will just be done. There's no, there's no organisation that will take it to court because there's not enough money to do so. Uh, but over here, we are stuck with, with uh, real, real uh, puritans in the state.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know if it'd be that much better, you know, um, over here. Um, I think I think we no, we know better in America.
0: We win in the in the sense that uh, our government's pretty useless at enforcement, so yeah, <laughs> right. we're not we're That's not allowed problem, to do any for, these, any of these things. But <laughs> you, you know, yeah, yeah. they can't enforce even the most basic of laws.
2: But one of the real problems with the UK these days is that for hundreds of years we've been basically a country which doesn't have very many laws compared to continental Europe, but we do enforce the laws we've got. And what we've got now, partly as a result of being members of the EU for so long, but also partly because we've got so many single-issue fanatics pushing uh, new legislation from their various different agendas, is we've ended up with a huge number of laws. And whereas maybe Italy might not bother enforcing these, we do. So we've got a British... Approach to obeying a law combined with a continental approach to making laws and that 's a terrible combination
0: well absolutely um let's uh, let's move tack a little bit and and uh, talk a bit about brexit because i'm sure you're pro brexit yeah well I know that you are pro brexit um and th- it, it has, seems to be this is an outsider's view i'm not there every day reading you know the the press that's going on but it seems to be that since th- that vote went through and once people got over the, their shock that uh, that uh, they had had lost um they've been on a campaign to do everything to curb the will of the people uh, because that's yeah. how democracy works and 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 so where where are you right now with with brexit is is the brexit actually going to be significant if it happens
2: oh it'd be significant it's the, it's the biggest change you know we've had here for, for many many years and i am uh, personally in favor of it um i don't like the eu i don't like the amount of legislation um that it spews forth i don't like it's so anti-scientific actually i mean that i was talking about the vaping before they brought in a whole load of stupid vaping rules they nearly banned roundup recently glyphosate um they are they've just introduced some regulations about how hot you can cook potatoes and stuff like that (laughs) and um, i I, just before i i I started speaking to you i was reading that they want to ban donna kebabs so they are are they just are they
0: just play are they just it sounds like they're fucking around frankly you know it's kind of like well they 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 bought into this whole smoking thing let's go after the potatoes next let's see how far we can push this
2: they're, they're very much um in the hands of the likes of Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace. There's a lot of scary. Uh, there's a lot of scaremongering, um, environmental groups and kind of food faddists and you know s- people who are scared of their own shadow lobbying in Brussels all the time. And unfortunately, the EU really doesn't take a very strong science-based approach to a lot of this stuff. It takes a very fear-based approach, which is not good in the long run for the for the European um, economy and innovation. And, and indeed, you know basic living costs for people um, but what 's happening with brexit at the moment it is you know, it 's steadily going through, but it 's been a real battle because you know a lot of the people who are in favor of the eu are in favor of it precisely because it 's not democratic you know uh, that 's the big appeal to a lot of people is that the European Commission pushes this legislation onto the parliament the parliament can 't come up with any legislation itself the european Commission is is itself totally unelected, but that's what a lot of people like about it. They don't they don't like the will of the people anyway. So it's no surprise that they've got no shame in trying to overturn the will of the people um, in the referendum. And it's a real it's a real slog. Um, I mean, every little thing has to be fought for, tooth and nail, um, because. You know, every single day there are more and more stories coming out about this is what we can do to undermine Brexit. This is what we can do. Everything's going wrong. The negotiators don't know what they're doing. We're going to have to pay them 100 billion pounds. The endless uh, panicking about this from people who, yeah. in a lot of cases, are genuinely like bedwetters about the whole thing. It's just this... Constant white noise of shrieking and, and crying, and you've got to try and block it out, otherwise you become as insane as they are. But it's, it's, you know, it's happening. It's very clear that it is going to happen. There isn't going to be a second referendum, and even if there was, we'd win by an even bigger margin this time, because people don't like being forced to go back yeah, it, it, um, it, to the polls. Us. And also because... You know yep. all the predictions about what would happen to the economy as soon as we voted to We're leave wrong. have not happened. The economy is basically ticking along, not fantastic, but it's okay. It's about the same as it was I, before.
0: I think I also saw. I think it was a YouGov poll that said uh, if you actually had the vote today, uh, there would be uh, there would be, as you say, even a bigger. So that's that's according to polling data, there'd be an even bigger victory for for yeah. uh, the Leave campaign.
2: I think that's right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, why should we have a second referendum to prove it? You know, we had to wait forty odd years for our second referendum. They can wait another forty.
1: So just on those negotiations, so there is these numbers bandied about that you have to pay the EU to leave, like sort of like a hostage negotiation well, of sorts? Well,
2: not quite. I mean, <laughs> the EU is primarily concerned about money, right? That's really why they liked us being in the EU because we were huge net contributors. We were Lefty, the second lefties net are worried contribute.
1: about money, Chris. I am, I'm shocked. Not solidarity or equality or, you yeah. know those good ventures.
2: Well, not, I mean, to be fair, they're not all lefties in the EU, but they are all interested in money. And they're not great friends of Britain. I don't think they ever have been. But they do like the twelve billion pound net that we give them every year. So I think they've accepted that we're leaving. They just want a bigger a bigger payout as possible. Um, there's a lot of rumors about how big the payout's gonna be. But even if it is forty five billion pounds, as was as is currently rumored. That's only four years' membership of the EU, It strikes me as a pretty small price to pay to get out. And in fairness, we do owe them money. I mean, there are things that we are joint collaborators on. There's existing commitments that we should honour. Um, and as far as I understand it, Theresa May has only re- pledged to honour those commitments. No figure has been put on them. But we've said, look, if we are legally obliged to pay them, of course we're going to pay these things. But we're not going to pl- pay an extra fee as a kind of goodbye present. And it's also outrageous the way that the EU has refused to talk about trade or anything else until they've got this money in their pocket. Uh, it confirms that they're only, really only interested in money. But for me, the amount we pay them um, beyond any clear legal commitments that we may have should depend entirely on how good that trade deal is. You know, we're not we're not going to give them any money, I don't think, unless we get some kind of deal.
1: I mean, yeah. Let's hopefully go through sooner than later. And, and once Brexit does happen and you do cut ties completely, do you think that health policy will change? I mean, how much influence has the EU had over uh, policy in in what well, in the EU? and and britain specifically in this case on in
2: in theory it has no mandate at all to get involved with health either with healthcare or with public health policy but it does it through the back door by calling it market harmonization so for example we're going to have a ban in the eu in a about three years time on menthol cigarettes okay every country in europe currently sells menthol cigarettes there's no country in europe that is even contemplating banning them but on the basis of market harmonization they're going to be banned across the eu now this is clearly not a it's market not a,
0: harmonization so, i mean that just yeah. that is some serious uh, kind of marxist sort of doublespeak
2: well market, market harmonization is, is sensible enough in a way if you're going to have a single trading block then it helps to have common standards um, the problem is that this need for common standards uh, is A, often exaggerated, and B, exploited by people as yeah. this panel. It, it depends where In your standards this- are. Well, exactly. And the, the problem with the EU is it's always tended to look at different member states' standards and always pick the worst ones to harmonize. So if you know, if Portugal has got the most unnecessarily stringent standards on lawnmowers, for example, everybody else has got to have them. We can't make Port- Portugal kind of drop their standards to something more sensible. We've all got to go up to their stupid level. And that's one of the reasons um, it's such a, a, a drag bin and, and it's so economically draining to be following this, this absolute mountain of... Very, very petty regulation. And the EU keeps saying, we've got to stop doing this. We've got to stick to what we, you know, what people want, which is basically just a free trade zone. We've got to stop micromanaging the lives of our citizens. And then they come up with some stupid ban or some regulation about how you toast your bread.
0: Yeah, well, they, they do kind of like to – this is no joke for, for listeners. Uh, they, they literally are banning roast potatoes and, and, and bread not quite Okay, maybe literally, literally is not the correct word in that instance. Um, but, uh, th- th- they are very concerned about how dark your bread is when you toast it and, uh, yeah. the amount of, of burn on your potato because that's carcinogenic. Um, uh, so I just, just want to, I, I know you, you mainly deal with health, but I just wanted to chat also about this freak out over Donald Trump because, uh, it's quite, uh, uh prominent in the news currently uh, seems to be affecting the relationship between Britain and the United States Uh, not sure if his his state visit is actually going to go ahead or if it's going to be cancelled I did hear some mutterings that it actually had already been cancelled what do you make of this?
2: I think it would be better if politicians just ignored people's Twitter accounts generally I mean I know He's got a lot of followers and a lot of what he says uh, is quite eye-catching. But, you know, retweets don't necessarily mean endorsement. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
0: well, they're not endorsements until you dislike the person. I think he
2: just gives um, both him and the people he was retweeting too much publicity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It was a headline news all day long yesterday in the UK. And what's for what for what purpose? The the Britain First group that was, you know, being talked about constantly has now boasted it's got hundreds and hundreds of new members. Well, yeah, it's bound to, isn't it? It's just you well, the stri- fact stri- 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 when it
0: becomes exactly when it becomes uh, news for a full news cycle, then uh, that's bound to happen. Yeah, but you so, t- yeah,
2: I mean, people people is looking for any excuse to get hysterical about Trump. I'm I'm no fan of Trump. I don't think he's a suitable man to be president, really. Um, but I'm not sure he's done that much as either right or wrong so far. Um, so I, I just think we should maybe concentrate on more important things than what people tweet. Not just Trump, but anybody. There is so much in the news now about what people have said or something that they said, you know, 30 years ago and people haven't apologized for this and that. And, you know, sticks and stones, sticks and stones.
1: Well, I personally love Trump. Uh, he's making the the state seem more ridiculous every day. Uh, as an anarchist, it's quite nice. Uh, no one, no one ever seems to worry about the power of the person until, like you know, it's an it's an opposition, a member of the opposition. Uh, and then when the member of the opposition does come into power, then they worried about executive orders and Twitter and free speech and uh, yeah, it keeps it keeps the left and the right on their toes. Uh, no one just says just take away power from the executive. I mean, none of this yes. would, would matter, right? But
2: Indeed, obviously that, not. that thought never seems to occur to them. And the good thing about Trump is it has been very, very funny to watch the leftists you know, get so obsessed
1: oh, it is, it about is, it. It is the greatest um, political time in, well, probably in my lifetime. It's superb.
2: Yeah, uh, and it's the same with Brexit. You can, you know, If you're a fan of Schadenfreude, as I am, then it's a very good time to be alive. And the fact that I don't really want Trump to be president either um, Is a small price to pay for being able to
1: laugh at the people who are, you know, pretty much on suicide watch because of it. Uh, so so just, sorry, actually, I just I just thought about this as you spoke. So the people who voted in for Trump are from what they call the flyover states. So as yeah. a states right in the middle of America where no liberals ever been, you know, set foot before. Um, and and so, they, more,
2: they call them the flyer mistake. Yeah, you know, they travel between good New York and California. How, how middle America is viewed by the people on the coast.
1: Right, and these are the people that smoke, that drink, that like fast food, that gamble, that watch football. You know, you're you you're good typical American, working or, or upper working class person, whose yeah. views are not seen as legitimate by people on the coast, i.e. the elites. And uh, they managed to pull through and vote in, you know, someone who they think will be able to help them out. Whether that happens or not, it doesn't really matter. In Britain, though, there doesn't seem to be that candidate for for the working class or for not, not the majority of Britain, but for those people who are just, quote, essentially British and who like to do the usual British things of watching football, you know, Smoking fags and having a pint. Uh, In in politics, there doesn't seem to be that representation available to them.
2: No, and there wasn't in America before either. I mean, Trump's a bit of an anomaly. um, I I hope and assume. Um, I mean, I the 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 big problem I have with the whole Trump thing is I really think there was room for somebody to come in a bit like Trump and be a, a new broom and drain the swamp and start standing up for. Normal people. The problem is that it is actually Trump who's going to do this, and I don't think he's in any way competent. Uh, hasn't got anywhere near enough of an attention span to actually get anything changed very much. I think he's kind of clearing out the EPA, which would be good, but that's that's about it. Mm. And he's actually going to set back that sort of conservative or populist cause uh, a long way. I think in in the long term. But you're right that we don't in Britain, and indeed most countries, have um, anyone who's Sort of openly anti-establishment and uh, really appealing to ordinary working people, who I totally agree uh, have been ignored by you know the liberal media and the middle of the road wishy-washy parties that we tend to have these days. But it's still very polarized. I mean, we've now got Jeremy Corbyn in, he's basically a communist in the, in the Labour Party, and it's, it's it's a two-party state. You know, and we're, people are playing for very very high odds. Um, so if you don't want Corbyn to come in and turn us into a kind of socialist hellhole, you're not really going to risk voting for some third candidate.
0: Yeah, you, you probably won't. What do you, we've discussed it a bit on the show before. What do you, what do you make of Jacob Reese Mogg? Because, uh, he's, uh, obviously very different to Donald Trump. Uh, well, other than they're both very rich. Um, but he's, uh, far more of an English gentleman. Uh, obviously from a very conservative background, a religious man, but he doesn't really want to enforce his religious beliefs on others. He just wants to be able to live the way he wants to live. Uh, do you think he, uh, he might be, The UK's Trump in not uh, such a brash way?
2: Well, not such a brash way is an understatement. I mean, I don't know if you could ever really call Jacob Rees-Marg an anti-establishment candidate. He kind of, in British terms, he's the establishment. He's the establishment candidate. Um, Yeah, there was some talk earlier this year. I think most of it was banter, really, about Jacob Rees-Marg being the Leader and therefore the prime minister. He's a very intelligent guy. He's a very articulate guy, a very thoughtful guy. Um, I don't think he's prime ministerial uh, material. I'm not sure that yeah. he has the, he's, the he's skills. He's still a backbencher
0: as far as I understand it.
2: Yeah, he hasn't even had a cabinet position. I do like him. I think he'd be a good kind of front bench uh, spokesman for, for something, a good cabinet minister. I'm not convinced that he really has the um, the way with people um, uh, yeah, to – to run a cabinet and run a government. Not that Theresa May is either, obviously. She's absolutely appalling. But she needs to be used as a hate sponge for a couple of years. Soak her up with <laughs> you know, all the hate. and we'll, That's, that's we'll, great. Get, get rid of her and, and get somebody else in. Um, probably somebody of Jacob's age. She's not as old as he looks. So I think it would be somebody in the in their 40s, um, skip a generation from the, the previous lot, who I think mostly are discredited. Uh, I'd be surprised if it was him, because he's just so incredibly you Yeah, posh, basically, and I I don't think that uh, cuts a lot of ice with your swing voter. Uh, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm guilty of inverted snobbery there. But um, he he's a bit of an eccentric, I think, probably to be prime minister in twenty, you know, in a in twenty in a decade we're in, whenever the next election is going to be.
1: Well, I I have high hopes for for Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, I think I think he'll be a fantastic prime minister, and I think I think people actually do get him. He, him, okay, not not Trump by any means, but when he speaks, I actually feel that he's telling the truth. And that's quite rare. Oh, he is. He is,
2: yeah. That's one of the reasons why he couldn't be prime minister, I suspect. I, mean, uh, <laughs> so, I, think I, okay. I get, your point, I get your point now. I get your point now.
0: Yeah. You're not going
2: to get very far politics like
0: that, are you? Well, potentially not. Although, it, it, I, you know, I mean, that was not for honesty, but it. The fact that Trump in some way spoke his mind, and I think uh, because uh, Mog doesn't, Jacob Reese Mogg doesn't hide who he is, and he does just say, what he is and how, what he believes on things, even if those aren't the politically correct things. I think I, I do get the sense that the entire world is, is there's a massive backlash against political correctness and it's, it's, it's difficult to, to monitor or tell. You can pick it up on social media networks like Twitter, for example, um, you know, with memes and shit posting and that type of stuff. Um, but the average person, because of how our societies are established and set up, Uh, won't openly air their views because the society says, well, that's politically incorrect, you can't say that, but give them a chance at the ballot box to elect someone who is against political correctness, essentially, and they will vote for them in droves.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, there is a backlash against that. I think that backlash is only going to get bigger and bigger as universities in particular just take all leave of their senses Um, and the whole... Yeah, yeah, the the whole PC lobby, whatever you want to call it, the postmodernists and so on. Um, I think that's got a way to go. But I think, you know, over the course of the next 10 years or so, it will be the person who stands up against that, who will, you know, win the political political battle. Because I think there is, yeah, there's definitely a silent uh, majority uh, against a lot of this nuttiness that's going on.
0: Well, uh, Chris, we're going to have to uh, call it uh, call it for the day. Hello. That's uh, that's an hour went quite quick. Uh, thanks, uh, hello, thanks. Hello, can you hear us, Chris? Chris, sorry, we lost you for a second I there. Lost uh, yeah, sorry, we're going to have to call it for the day. Unfortunately, uh, we're we're out of time. Um, but yeah. uh, that's an hour. It's been uh, it's been really exactly, great yeah. chatting to you.
2: Uh, and you, yeah, you know, enjoy it. Take care.
0: Yeah, and uh, would you like to tell everyone where they can find your stuff?
2: Certainly. My book, Killjoys, is available as a free download. If you just type in my name, Snowden Killjoys should do it on Google. You can download it as a PDF. You can, if you like, buy it from Amazon, or you should be able to buy it from Amazon. Uh, and my other stuff, I've got a blog called Bell, Big Iron Fist, which I update most days. And basically just Google Christopher Snowden IEA, and you'll find about 25 publications on all sorts of things, vaping, smoking, fast foods, gambling, you name it. Um, all in this kind of uh, area of sin, which I will continue to write and talk about for as long as I have the patience. Yeah,
0: well, that's fantastic. At least uh, someone's doing it. Uh, we need uh, more people like you, uh, I think, uh, fighting back against uh, the nanny state.
2: Yes, let's get some more.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Chris, and uh hope to chat to you sometime in the future.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Take care.
0: Thanks. Eh? Bye. Bye-bye. So that was a good hour, Ramon.
1: Yeah, I wish to thank my special guest or our special guest, my daughter in studio. Yeah. Uh, I did mention right at the beginning that she's in town and she carries on. There you go. Uh, Are you happy that you're here? I'm glad
0: that someone else interrupts you. (laughs) Or or changes just from you
1: interrupting me all the time. There you go. It's, it's fun. But, um, yeah, I think it's very important that people understand health policy and, and public health is really, to me, a control mechanism masquerading as like a, a health, yeah, um, whatever, a health and issue. It's really about control. Uh, people do want to control what you eat, what you smoke, what you look like, what you do with, mm. your, with your And then they time. establish
0: state systems to help you. When uh, those things cause the problem, so then they can say, "Well, don't do that," because then we have to—we won't have to help you as much. You'll save us some money, uh, and you kind of get trapped into the state system of, of of controlling your entire life.
1: Yeah, and I'm not calling the UK North Korea or us by any means, North Korea, but understanding in you know, a public health policy, it's really a lot of shit, and it's just about control. And my daughter agrees and your daughter with
0: agrees at 100, and uh, that's why she's already testing as a genius. Uh, and uh, that's us for the week thanks so much for listening we've got a couple of episodes left before the end of the year uh, if uh, well Ramon's pointing one, potentially two uh, and uh, we'll uh, then to be taking a break and coming back next year as always you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report Ramon at Roman Cabernac myself at Jonathan underscore wit donate on Patreon if you can thanks so much for listening, cheers, bye